Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me today. This is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. In this podcast, I share things out of the Bible dealing with the tests and the trials of life, what the Bible says that we can do to overcome the obstacles, the enemies, the things that we face that keep us from having what God wants us to have, from doing what God wants us to do, from moving forward in life. I think a lot of times people, um, when they hear statements like, well, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, um, God is everywhere, you naturally come to uh, the place where you ask yourself some questions. Well, if God is all-powerful, why did he let this happen? Right? If God is good, why, why is he allowing this evil to take place? Well, see, according to the Bible... God made this earth, and he gave it to Adam. And he said, now you take authority over it. He gave it to him, much the way the, um, the owner of a building may lease it out to tenants. And then, as we know, what happened with Adam, he fell. And uh, basically, he, he subleased, I guess you would say, this world out to a fallen spirit. How do you know that? Why did he come to that conclusion? Well, according to... Um, Hold on, let me look it up here quickly. I think it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians 4.4. 4. Okay, that would be 2nd Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. The God of this world. Well, the God of this world isn't the God of heaven, right? Because if the, if the God of this world is blinding people's minds, blinding their hearts to the gospel, well, then that doesn't make any sense. Right? Because it says here, let me read this from the New or the American King James Version. It says, in, if, if our, let me start in verse number three. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. So look at it this way. The, the God of this world is not the God of heaven. Right? Now, how did the God of this world become the God of this world? Well, that's what I was just saying. Even though it doesn't go into great detail on it, we can see by reading in the, uh, the book of Genesis that God made everything and it was good. Even uh, before the devil was the devil, it says he was, his name was Lucifer. He was the light bearer and he was perfect in all his ways until the day iniquity was found in him. Now, some people might say, well, yes, that just goes to prove that God is not flawless because he made uh, the devil. And, well, no, it doesn't say he made the devil. It says he made Lucifer. Lucifer made the devil. Right? He, he, he chose. He said he rebelled against God and he said that I will. And then he decided to do his, his thing. And it says that he drew away a third of the angels with him that fell with him. And so when you think about it, well, how could how could God create a creature or, or or a race of people in his own image or even angels who would willingly and lovingly serve him? In other words, free choice, free will. How, how could anybody have free will and never make a choice against the truth? Now, I was thinking about that the other day. What if, what if the devil never chose to become the devil? What if he never chose to rebel? Well, then everything would have remained perfect. Right? But as free will goes, choice goes, it would stand to reason that somewhere, somehow, something that had that ability to choose free will would ultimately have to choose to go the other way. <laughs> right? Because if nobody had ever done it before, nobody would know what the consequence of choosing against God would result in. He was the first person to do it. And obviously, if God wasn't so good, so loving, so caring, how would he convinced a third of the angels to follow him in that rebellion? Think about that for a minute. If God isn't the good, loving, kind uh, God that we see reflected in Jesus' life and ministry, how in the world, if he was the fiery judge, right, visible right from the beginning as the judge, who in their right mind would have rebelled against him? Right? But I believe that that part of God was never seen because there was no reason to see it. Now think about this. If there's never any crimes committed ever, who would need police? Who would need jails? Who would need a judge? None of that would ever be needed. 
right? It's like if there was never any sickness, who would need a doctor? Who would need a hospital? Half, half of what we have here on this earth would disappear suddenly if all of those things were, a lot of things would disappear, right? So, the, and, so now, does the Bible spell it out? No, but I'm, I'm just using what the Bible says and coming to some very simple conclusions, you can take those conclusions and argue with them. You know, I'm not saying that you have to believe everything the way I say it. <laughs> Obviously, everybody thinks their opinion is right, or else they'd, they'd adopt a new opinion. You know, so I kind of, I, I believe I'm someone on the money there. But think about how Jesus taught. Jesus used simple things that the, uh, any person, even somebody who couldn't read, could understand. He used the things in nature to describe what the kingdom of God was like. He used seeds and plants and trees. And, and things like that. Um, and, and he talked about how growing works. And he also talked about how the enemy works, sowing the seeds. So without going into specific things, I mean, a lot of us would have loved it if Jesus sat down and said, okay, this is what happened. This is exactly the day that Lucifer fell. This is exactly the quote that he said. This is exactly the message that he preached to the angels that he convinced to come over. And this is exactly why he thought he could beat God. I mean, these are all questions we, I'm sure everybody wants to know, or at least maybe kind of sort of thinks about every now and then. But I mean, if, we, if you just break it down to its simple conclusion, obviously he had the ability to choose, right? He wasn't a robot. And obviously you and I have the ability to choose. So when you look at these scriptures, let me look at, let's look at one other scripture uh, that goes along this line. This isn't even what I wanted to talk about. This is just kind of a lead-in. What I really wanted to talk about um, was the question, is your heart in it? Is your heart in it? Is your heart still in it? If your heart isn't in it, then you can get your heart back in it. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But let's look at one more scripture. If we go to the Gospel of Matthew, in the beginning we can go and we can look Let's see, probably right around um, chapter 4. <clears throat> Here we go. Jesus was led up of the Spirit in the wilderness, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Now here's an interesting thing. Jesus was led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now Jesus said when, when we pray, we should pray like this, lead us not into temptation. Right, so obviously there's nothing good about temptation. But yet the spirit here is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right, so there's some things that you want to follow Jesus to the letter on. There's some things that he did as a lesson and he did for you or he did instead of you. And I look at this like this. He, he went to be tested of the devil. Why? Because he was going to face the, the same test, basically, that the first Adam fa failed at. He was going to take that test, and he was going to pass it, right? Because it says in verse number two, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights after he was hungered, but when the tempter came, isn't that interesting? The tempter. Another translation says the tester. You know, this is the podcast where we talk about faith tested by fire. You know, and, and if you think that it's God testing you, then it's really tough to to. Balance that out in your thinking because you're asking God for help, but the other part of you believes that's God causing the problem. But then you believe God's good. And so basically you're left with a lot of questions. Now, when I look at this, and I was brought up Catholic, so I had a lot of questions after I left that denomination and after I really believed. I mean, I, I believed for, for a long time the, the simple gospel, as far back as sixth grade, as I can remember, looking up and telling God I wanted to be a modern saint in sixth grade, I prayed that way. And then after I prayed, the tempter came and things rapidly unraveled. But the, the tempter, you know, the Bible says, let no one, uh, when he is tempted, say he is tested, tempted or tried by God. It says that in the book of James. But anyway, he said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus answered and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then it says he takes him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle. 
Now, you know, a lot of people would know, like to know, how did he take him there? You know, did did they travel in what 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 we see today as UFOs? Did they become like a light, and all of a sudden he just moved him over there because it said he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, right? So so what whatever he did, he did it. He did it pretty fast. It seems like it didn't seem like they went on a journey and walked together and then put a ladder up and then put him on his back. I mean, that's kind of silly thinking of that, right? It just says, then the devil takes him up. The devil takes him. The devil takes him. All right, let, let's take a look at what that word actually means there. The devil taketh him up. Comes from a Greek word. Means, um, parlaambano. To receive nearer. To receive, to take up. So it doesn't give us the details. You know, I, I think sometimes there's a reason why the God left the details out. Right? Why they weren't written down. Why he didn't impress on people to write it a little bit differently. Probably because we get lost in the details and miss the point of it. Right? I believe the details that we have in here are exactly the details that were meant to be in here. But anyway, it says he takes him up to holy holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle. Of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down for his written. And then, you know, he went into what was written. And then Jesus responded and said, Thou shalt, again, it's written. Again, it's written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then finally, it takes him up to an exceedingly high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof. And he says to them, he said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. All these things. Well, how could, how could he give something that wasn't his to give? Think about that. All of these will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Let me look at this in one of the other Gospels. Let's look at this in, in um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Verse number 6. This is, this is the same... This is the same test. Mark 4, Luke 4. We looked at Mark, now we're in Luke. Verse number 6. The devil said unto him after he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. <coughs> Excuse me. All this power I will give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will, I give it. Isn't that interesting? Here it adds a statement in the, in the Gospel of Luke. So, you know, somebody may say, uh, well, which is the correct which is the correct, what really happened? What was really said there? You know, sometimes people, oh, you know, the Bible has all these discrepancies. I really don't believe that at all. You know, I, I believe that it would be no different than when you get to sit down and have dinner with your family, maybe for Thanksgiving, by the way, happy Thanksgiving. It's just a few days away, 2018. I believe that if you quote from a conversation that you have with somebody maybe you will quote exactly word for word verbatim everything they said or maybe you will just pull out part of what they said right because that's applicable to what you're trying to tell somebody <clears throat> for example if you go to best buy on black friday and you buy a television set you buy a phone and you buy a tablet, and you write somebody, and you say, I went to Best Buy, and I, I, I bought a, a television, a flat panel, I bought a tablet for when I'm on the road, and I bought a new phone because my other one was old. You went that out there. Is that truthful? Absolutely. And then you, you tell your friend, you said, oh yeah, the other day I went to Best Buy and I bought a new phone. But you don't mention the television set. 
Why? Because maybe after you mention that thing, you're going to move over into another topic, and that's a lead-in for it. Right? Or, or, or from the angle that you were telling the story, the TV was irrelevant, really. It didn't matter. Now, I believe that, and, and that's why God uses fallible human people to bring an infallible word into the earth. God uses people. Right? People that were inspired of the Holy Spirit. So some people may be inspired to point one thing out more than something else. So which which instance is true? Well, they're all true. It just depends who's emphasizing what. Right? So so both of them are true. Luke is right and Matthew's right. The devil takes him up and he said, All this power I will give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Well, who delivered it to him? Who delivered it? Well, Adam must have. Because God delivered it to Adam back in the beginning. And, and so why am, I put, why am I putting this out there? Because I think sometimes we, we get the feeling that God is kind of like the person that's sitting in the window of the house across the street watching maybe some guy abuse his wife or children. And sometimes he decides to do something about it and sometimes he doesn't and we have no idea why. Right. And, and so what we inadvertently do is we create a different kind of good. We say, yeah, God is good, but you know, if you attribute certain things to God, then your definition of good is different from the Bible definition of good. Right? And it, it takes faith to believe it because we see certain things happen. We don't understand it. And so we don't want to change our thinking. If we change our thinking and say, well, God couldn't do something about it. Well, then what does that do? Then that makes God look maybe not quite as almighty as we thought he was. And we don't want to say that, right? And, and, and so we, we try and pick and choose what we're going to apply to a certain situation when the real truth of the matter is the only thing that we know for certain is the things that God revealed in his word. We don't know for certain why certain things turn out the way they do, but I can guarantee you positively 100% of the time that it's never God's fault. There's always a human element, a human choice involved somewhere in the process that causes the thing not to work out 100% to the glory of God. If God's will is completely done, why would Jesus say, when you pray, pray this way, thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Why would he say to pray that way if it was automatically done? Or if God should just move in and do it? I remember some old-time preachers used to say some of the more popular ones from the 17 and 1800s of the time, they would make statements like, it seems that God is limited to what he can do in the earth by our prayers. Right? So, so that's a truth. Now, sometimes can we, we apply that truth to anything? Well, sometimes in the Bible, God just does something. <laughs> you know, you find out about it later. And other times, it seems like he requires a person or a group of people to do something a certain way to get the result. So you can go from story to story and, and you can see all of these truths at the same time in play. So let me tell you a story. So the other night, a few nights ago, I've had this before. Um, some people call them night terrors. Have you ever had one of those, one of those dreams where it seems like there is an evil presence in your actual dream? It seems like you're being attacked and it's, it's a real feeling. It's, it seems like it's beyond just a normal dream. And so you can look them up online. There's plenty of people that have them, but over the years I've learned that if I use the name of Jesus in the dream, I can, I can push that evil thing out. But every once in a while, it's like, um... In a dream, I have this happen, <clears throat> and I have quite a few dreams, but I remember praying before I go uh, go to bed, and when I prayed before I go to bed, it would seem like those those entities, I don't know what else you can call them, um, those, de those demonic things, they wouldn't be able to enter into that when I was in that dream state and oppress me, oppress my mind. And, um, but... Over the years, I noticed that sometimes I would pray and they'd be able to get in anyway. Right? I mean, it's just like when you pray. Have you ever prayed for something and it hasn't come to pass? <laughs> I mean, you can apply that to a lot of things. You know? That you pray for something that hasn't come to pass. And sometimes, then, you know, you do what you do to resolve the situation the best that you know how. 
And then you go back and you wonder, you know, what happened at the time. For example, there was the, uh, the example from the Gospels when Jesus goes up to the mount and he takes um, James and, and John and Peter with him and he gets transfigured, right? And Moses and Elijah appear. Meanwhile, down below where everybody else is, uh, the disciples are trying to cast a spirit out of this young boy. The father brings the young boy to the disciples and they try to cast it out. What, how do you think they tried to do it? They probably did everything that they saw Jesus do in the past, but it didn't work. Right? They didn't get result. The boy didn't get healed. The boy didn't get delivered. When Jesus came down, then all of a sudden they brought it, this boy to him and said, we, uh, we tried and it didn't work. And Jesus' response was, oh, faithless generation. Well, obviously they, they used what they did what they thought they could do. They, they, they used what they had and they didn't get the result. Right now, now, Jesus didn't turn around and blame the Father. Jesus didn't say, well, there's just some things we don't understand. Jesus got the result. Right? So, so where, when Jesus is actually present... The results are 100% of, of the time, except when he was in his own hometown, where it says he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Right? But, but now, and it says they were offended by him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And he said a prophet is not without honor anywhere except in his own hometown. Well, obviously, with people like you and I, that doesn't apply to us. Because Jesus isn't without honor in our lives, in our minds. Like we're, we, we can, we're convinced that if Jesus is on the, on the scene, that the victory has to come. Because there's no power in heaven or on earth that's strong enough to keep him from doing what he wants to do. But yet there are situations where it seems like he doesn't want to do it because it doesn't happen. <laughs> right? So obviously when you look back in these Bible instances where failure happened, you can see what was the cause of failure and come to just a simple conclusion that, well, maybe that's the cause of failure in my situation and what I was facing. So I start to think, well, what can I do then? Even if I'm doubting, what can I do? How can I change that? You know, and in, in the past, I became very works-oriented in the striving to, to fix what was not working correctly, right? What I mean by works-oriented, I'd spend more time reading, more time praying, and trying to almost work up more belief. Does that make sense? <clears throat> I mean, I try... It, 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 when, you're, when you're facing a problem, right, you're, you're as human as I am. Don't you get frustrated when it doesn't change? Don't you get mad when it doesn't change? Don't you get fretful when it doesn't change? I mean, how can you not feel those things and still be in this body that we're in? Of course, all of those things come. But the one verse that God stressed to me was Luke 18, 1. Men ought always to pray and not to faint and give up. And he gave the illustration of the widow woman. And so what I noticed, I had to do this two or three times, which proves that I'm not the fastest learner in the world, but I had to do this two or three times before I recognized it. And what I recognized is, is that when I pray from the heart, it's completely different than when I pray from the head. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that, right? If we, if you and I talk about somebody that you care about, somebody that you love, somebody, and that person is hurting, our conversation will be more than just a surface um, conversation, right? Because you feel for that person. You have empathy towards that person, right? If you, if you could snap your fingers and make that person well, you, you'd be snap, you would have snapped your fingers and, and it would have happened already. Um, if you had enough money to get that person out of, the, um, out of the hole, it would be done already. If you are a parent and you have a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because we're made in the image of God. Now, we think, well, if God felt that way about us, why doesn't he step, why doesn't he cross over mountains to help us? He did. He did. That's what Jesus came for. That was God doing everything that we couldn't do. 
But yeah, what we don't realize sometimes is is that we still have a part to play because we're we are in this world and we have an enemy here who opposes us. We have an enemy here who's trying to keep God's best from happening in our lives, and he sows seeds, seeds of doubt, seeds of fear, seeds of worry. Right? And and so not everything happens immediately. Not everything happens, and if it doesn't happen immediately, and you start questioning the character and nature of God, then you're in that vicious loop. Because nothing is going to change in the Bible. It's still going to be the same as it ever was. None of the truths that have been there, they're they're not going to change. right? And so, just like that man said to Jesus after the disciples failed to cast the spirit out of the boy, he said, if you can do anything, have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Right. So now, if we had written that, maybe we would have written it a little different. Maybe we would have had Jesus, I mean, if it was our story, maybe we would have had Jesus hug the guy. I understand. I understand. I'm going to help. No, instead he rebukes him, basically, is how his word basically worded. If I can do anything, no, if you can believe, all things are possible. And immediately the father cries out and he says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Right? Have you ever felt that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you if Jesus appeared to you right now and you said, Jesus, oh, I, you know, I, I've been praying for help with, with the job and with the money. I've been praying with the help we need with the house and the cars and the transportation. I've been praying for help with my son and my daughter. I've been praying for help with the grandchild. I've been praying, praying for all these things. And, and uh, if you can do anything, what do you think he would say to you? <laughs> what do you think he would say to you? I mean, would you would you have the would you have the audacity to say why have you delayed? Maybe it's good if you did say that. Maybe it'd be mad. Maybe it would be good if you hollered at him and you said, "What's up? What are you doing? I can't believe you haven't taken care of this yet. I've prayed sincerely, and and you did all that. You know why? Because that's really what's in your heart. God sees the heart. In uh, James chapter five, it says here, verse no. Uh, James chapter 5, verse number um, 15. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word I want to um, focus on there is fervent. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly. So two words there, fervent prayer. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruits. So what's the the truth here is that the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, in Christ, you are righteous. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your wisdom. Jesus is your redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 30. Let me read this in the American King James Version. Without the these and the thous. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, whom God has made unto us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That according as it is written, let him that glories glory in the Lord. So God's righteousness is flowing through you. God's wisdom is flowing through you. You may say, well, yeah, that sounds good on paper, but on reality, it doesn't seem to be changing anything in my life. And the reality of it is, is we have not because we ask not. Right? We're going to a little bit too much by experience. But let me get, let me tie some of these together. I apologize for bouncing around. There's just so many things I want to say, but I have a limited amount of time to say them in. But let me, let me throw this out there to you about this fervency, about this heartfelt prayer. Um, if we're talking about somebody that you love, somebody that's in trouble, we know that we know that you love them. And when you talk to God, you talk differently to God about those people than you do other people. Maybe not every time, but some of the time. Why? Because 
the, the love that you feel is inspiring you to pray for them. When there's other things we pray for, maybe our heart's not really in it. Right? You can say, oh, you know, Jim's going on a mission trip next month. And I say, hey, pray for me on my mission trip. I'm going to um, Iran next month. You know, And you're there washing your dishes. You're there wiping the counter down. And you th- remember I said that. And you, you, shoot, you shoot a quick one off. Oh, Lord, Jim, please uh, guide and uh, Jim, bless him on his trip in Iran. Keep him safe. But it's a little bit different kind of prayer, right? Your heart isn't in it at the same level that maybe if your son or daughter were going over to Iran. And you know how dangerous it is. Or to Pakistan, <laughs> you know, or, or anywhere in the world where there's danger. Right? If somebody you don't know asks, hey, pray for us, we're going to the section. Yeah, you pray. Of course you don't want to see anything bad happen. But that heartfelt fervency isn't there to the same level that it would be as if your son or daughter were there or your spouse were there or, or somebody that you're really close with. You see, it's different then. Now you really, I mean, this is, this is important to you. Right? Now, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. What I'm saying is, is that Sometimes your heart is in something and sometimes it isn't. Jesus said when you pray, he said, what things soever you desire. Another word for that word desire is crave or require. In other words, you want something so badly. He said, what things soever you desire in Mark eleven twenty four. When you pray, believe you receive it. Well, if it's what things you ever, you desire so much that you crave them, then you could see that maybe that wouldn't apply to a lot of things that you pray for because well, if God doesn't do it, you know, we do have some other options. I mean, if you have a bad headache, all things being equal, you can take an aspirin or some aspirin pain substitute if it doesn't happen in five or ten minutes. You know, but if somebody tells you, hey, you know, you got something growing inside your head and we can't operate on it, then you get a little more fervent about it, about your praying. And what I'm trying to say is that you don't have to wait until something is critical in order to be fervent about it. In order to pray from the heart. Right? In other words, the, the key here is sincerity. Sincerity. See, God looks on the heart. God responds to the heart, which is why I believe sometimes people don't receive the help that they're asking for. Because their heart is somewhere else. Sometimes their heart is just hardened. Think about it. Do you know what it's like to have a hard heart towards somebody or something? I do. I've had it before. You know, I, I know what it's like because I know the release that comes when you forgive somebody and you let them go. Right? So you know what it's like to have a hard heart. But sometimes, you know, like if somebody's been sick a long time, their heart isn't really open to healing. They just want to be done with it. You know, somebody deals with, with a problem or oppression or something for a long time. Sometimes they, on the inside, they give up, even though they're not telling you that on the outside. And I believe that when we get to heaven and we know the, what happened and why it happened, it's never, it's never God's fault, in other words. And so if you've been praying for something and you're just questioning why hasn't it happened, the question, that question needs to be directed not just to friends or pastors or teachers, but to God himself. You know, if you can't believe any further than you've already believed, then you need to cry to God to help you. And you don't need to make a show of it. See, this is the thing. We see people, and I'm not an emotional type of person. I'm not an emotional type of person. I remember when I was in my early 20s going to this intercessory group. Everybody there was probably old enough to be my, my parent. And I went to this group and I would pray. And it would be like just a handful of us in the church. And we would pray for people. And I remember sometimes... Like just certain people would be praying and weeping and I couldn't work it up. I couldn't work up that kind of emotion. I just, it wasn't in my range. It would be like uh, me trying to sing soprano. It's just not, I'm not, I don't have it in me, you know? And so if you, you watch people pray on TV or you see all these things and, and you try and work that up, then, then that's really not your heart that's causing you to, to, to do that. Does that make sense? And if you're, if it's not your heart, then you're just doing, you're just practicing religion. And so it would be better for you. But think about this. We put so much emphasis sometimes on, well, let's study the healing uh, healings in the ministry of Jesus. So let's really break it down what we see. Well, let me tell you what we don't see. We don't see what was in the heart, but we can see the heart 
expressing what the person was doing on the outside. We know the heart of the woman, basically, who had the issue of blood. We know, we know what was in that, that woman's heart, right? Because she said within herself, and, and she risked her life, you know, because people with an issue of blood, if she was caught in public, she would be stoned to death. And, um, you know, so we know what's in the heart of some people. Maybe we don't know what's in the heart of anybody, everybody, but we can make some educated guesses. I guess that's what I want to say, educated guesses. <clears throat> But we also know how the Pharisee prayed in the temple, where he said, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. And he said he prayed with himself. Praying with yourself is a good example of just praying out of the head. In other words, your heart's not in it. You know, and, and there's a lot of things that we can do when, when our heart's not in it. There's a lot of jobs that we can do, and we can do a, a fine job even if our heart's not in the work that we're doing. <laughs> I remember seeing this old movie and in the beginning had this clip of people on this conveyor belt line and they were basically putting these caps on these bottles and that's what all they did all day long. Well, I mean, your your body can be going through the motions of putting the caps on the bottles, but your your mind and your thoughts could be other places. Your heart could be somewhere else. You could be thinking of what you're going to be doing on the weekend all day. Or you could be, uh, I mean, who knows what goes on, right? People do things all the time, and they're not paying attention to what they're doing, which means they're doing something else. Their mind is elsewhere. But when your heart is in it, you're there. All of you is there. And I can think of a lot of times where, you know, I'll be laying in bed, and I'll be praying for somebody, and I'll remember other people, and I'll mention them. And then I'll feel bad because I'll remember some other people, but my mentioning of them is not at the same heart level as the first people I started praying for. Not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, I'm just pointing it out. That's all I'm doing. And so what I started noticing, back to the story of me with these night terrors and things like that, was that when I just shot one up before I went to bed, Lord, I, I thank you for the blood of Jesus covering this house, covering this property, covering this. You know, sometimes I would do it out of, out of memory, out of reflex, because I've done it so many times before. Kind of like saying, Lord, bless this food. But imagine if you really were heartfelt about it. And you really started thinking and you said, Lord, you know what? I don't know who made this food. I don't know who touched it. I don't know what's in it. I don't know if, if, if it's really healthy for me or not. You know, I want to do the best that I can to take care of myself. And I'm doing a lousy job of it as it is. And, and you really started getting, you know, maybe the first few words that come out of your mouth aren't from the heart. But if you keep, if you keep talking... If you keep the dialogue going, suddenly your heart kicks in and you know the difference. You know the difference. You know the difference. Right? Because it's like something touches you on the inside. Something changes. Even if it's just subtle, you know it. It's like me talking to you right now. And and the other night when I went to bed after that, I was actually worried about going to sleep because it seemed like... Something like, um, I don't know, something was just trying to drag me down in my sleep. And I would wake up and my heart would be pounding and everything and, and um, I wasn't getting rest. And so then I had to really dig down from the heart and be honest and tell God about it. I said, Lord, you know, I prayed, but this thing came in and, and maybe I wasn't really praying. From, and, and I hate to be, make a formula out of this. All you know, praying from the heart is just praying with with utmost sincerity, talking to God with utmost sincerity. You can even take the word praying out, right? Because praying is a form of communication. So talking to God with utmost sincerity, talking to God, and even thanking God with utmost sincerity. You know, counting your blessings. When I count my blessings, do I really feel deep down inside thankful? Probably not for like the first four or five things, but as I keep on going, something inside of me changes and then I'm aware of that, you know, that fake thankfulness. Does that make, I'll think, thank you, God, for, that we have electricity. Thank you, God, that the, you know, we have air conditioning. Thank you, God, for the heat. But then as you keep going, it's like your mind starts to recognize some other things like people who are out there freezing in the cold. And then you think about sometimes that you were freezing in the cold, but you were able to get inside. What if you never were able to get inside? And now suddenly, like, the real you is connecting with this conversation, is in the conversation. 
And and so, you know, I, I realized that, you know, there's times that part of me is in business mode when I'm trying to pray. Yeah, and it's like more of a religious exercise, even though I know about it, I know not to do it. I find myself doing it. Why? Because I'm still in the same body, just like you are. Right? I still have to fight the urge to do uh, to not be real. I still have to fight the urge to go through the motions. And so, I, I mean, I had a sincere prayer time the other night then when I went to bed. You know, I wasn't just asking for um, uh, protection while I sleep and a good night's sleep. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I wasn't doing it just like fast to get it over with. I was seriously digging down and said, Lord, I don't, I don't understand how this thing got in or what it is. And, you know, please search my heart, clean me, clean me from the inside out. You know, please remove all righteousness from my heart, from my mind. Please cleanse me. You know, I, you know, and I started thinking about his presence and, and how good he is and all the good things of God. And, and suddenly something changed on the inside. If you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm putting this in, I'm saying the same thing a hundred different ways to, and, until something clicks with you listening to me talk about this. So let me share this with you. Um, uh, a friend of ours the other day was in court. And without going into the, the um, all of the details of it, let's just say that he got a really bad uh, deal with the bank. And he's been in, I guess, litigation is the way the best way to put it, for about seven years with this case and still not resolved. And so uh, I finally went to trial the other day. And the first person that got called to the stand, that the opposing lawyer called to the stand, uh, was her friend. And he just laid into him and just made him look as bad as he could. <clears throat> and it got to the point where the other lawyer, his lawyer, uh, got up and, and objected and... Uh, this lawyer was warned by the judge on several times to tone it down and that he was out of line, right? So this is the bank's attorney, the opposing attorney. Now, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest and that he is our advocate. It's the same word that we would use to describe a lawyer or an attorney, and he stands before the judge. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the devil is known as the accuser of the brethren, and he accused, you remember how the, the, the devil accused Job before God? And remember all of the bad things that happened afterward with Job? And one of the things that he lamented in was that there was no person who stood between God and him, no advocate, <laughs> no intercessor, no one to plead his case. Well, that's, that problem was solved. God solved it. Jesus came, died for us, and became our, our intercessor the person, the go-between, between heaven and earth. So the interesting thing about it is, what is the devil doing? He is accusing us always about our works, the things that we say. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, you know, who's going to bring a charge against us? But, you know, we do things that are wrong sometimes, and sometimes we reap the results of those things, right? <clears throat> sometimes we allow the enemy to get in by our words or by our actions. And that causes bad things to happen in our lives, whether it's a direct attack or maybe we make a wrong choice or something like that. But I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking that, you know, the night before when these dreams started happening, it happened two nights in a row, um, I remember thinking that, you know, was, was the enemy there saying that, you know, Jim is not sincere in his prayer. And you can't just go and protect him if he's insincere. He's just being religious. I mean, I, I'm just imagining this. You know, I'm not saying that it's that or not. But I'm just putting it out there because it, if we have an enemy, if there are fallen spirits that hate the fact that we've been redeemed, that hate the fact that we're the light of the world, that hate the fact that we're the goodness of God, and they have nothing to do, right, all day long, they don't sleep they don't eat. Their only function 
is to oppose the things of God. Is it so such a far stretch to think that they would have the ability to torment you in your sleep if you let them? Right? And in this case, letting them is not sincerely praying or resisting them in Jesus' name, but just going kind of like through the motions. Oh, Lord, bless my sleep. Bless Aunt Mary. Uh, b bless Uncle Joe. Right. I mean, how, how, what kind of depth do those prayers really have? How did Jesus pray? I mean, we know he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But if we take the word pray out and just put conversation in there, how heartfelt do you think Jesus's conversations with the Father were? I mean, my, my favorite gospel of all is the Gospel of John, because in there, you read chapters like 15 through 17, and you really get a good, even 14, even 13, <laughs> but 14, 15, and 16, you really get the flavor of Jesus talking to the Father, specific things that were on his heart that he was pouring out. Right? You and I can do that. Right? We can talk to God. We can talk to God from the heart because that's the secret. That is the secret right there. Right? It's easier for children to do sometimes. Right? So that the magic isn't in the words. The power isn't just in the words. It's in the heart behind the words. So whether that means we're kneeling, whether that means we're standing, whether that means our jaws are clenched tightly or not, whether it means the tears are flowing down our face, it could be different every time, right? Because different situations affect us differently. But what can be the same every time is that what we're doing and what we're saying in our communication with God is truly coming from the heart. And I found that that changes everything. I'm so excited about this because I knew this as a head fact for many years, but I wasn't consciously practicing it. And it wasn't until recently, until this situation uh, happened, that I started recognizing again the difference between just going through the motions and praying and naming things or people or situations because you feel guilty, you know, and, and not, and doing it from the heart. And if you really talk to the heart about people, right, and about situations, it's a totally different, it's a totally different, I bet that's... <laughs> I can unless I pray in the spirit, unless I, I speak in another language, I don't know other way to put it to you right here, right now. But that's the way I want to put it. So how would it change things? If you went back to some situations that have left you frustrated, have left you confused, have left you angry, and you really go to God and you really say it from the heart, and don't be afraid to say, God, you know, I'm just mad at you because you didn't help in this situation. And I'm coming back to you again because Luke 18.1 says that men should pray and never faint and never give up and never lose heart. It says that depending on what translation you're reading. If you read it in many different translations, you'll get the full picture. The idea is, is that you shouldn't give up when you pray. You shouldn't. Why would Jesus say that? As I've said many times in, the, in these podcasts, the reason why he said we shouldn't give up is because we're going to have a lot of opportunities to do so. In this lifetime. And I want to know that when I get there, that and I stand in the judgment, that God will not be able to point anything out and say, This is where you gave up. Right? I remember hearing a preacher talk a long time ago about disciplining his son. He said, You know, I made that boy sit down in that chair, but on the inside he was standing up. He just looked at me defiant. He wasn't physically able to 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 stand because I had him down in that chair. And, and he said he just made him so mad. But, you know, sometimes I think the opposite of true is we're standing up on the outside, but inside we're really sitting down. We've given up. We're going through the motions. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And you think, well, I don't want to just repeat the same old prayer over and over again. I don't want to just repeat the same old Thanksgiving over and over again. I've been doing that for years, and the situation still isn't any better, right? And so now when, when you put this in there, the fervent effectual prayer— the heartfelt prayer avails much. What things soever you desire, meaning that you require them. You, you desire them so much that they're, they're a requirement, right? That, and, and, you, and you plug this in, you realize that, hey, you know what? 
you have been, you maybe maybe you were doing it from the heart in the beginning, but you know, eventually you moved over to a place where it just became a religious exercise. You you got lost in it. So just change your way of thinking. Just change your way of thinking. Bring these situations back to God and say, Lord, I'm back. Luke 18, 1 demands that I come back and not give up. And so as long as there's breath in my body, as long as there's desire in my heart, I'm going to hold on to you until I have my last breath. Until I take my last breath, I'm holding on for situation in this situation in belief, in trusting you, in knowing. Think about it. I don't care who you're, who you're hurting for. God loves that person more than you ever could. And, and so if you're wondering why, doesn't he care? Is he not doing it because there's other more important things? No, no, and no again. The reason why you're seeing this isn't because of God neglecting to do anything. Remember, we have an adversary. We have an enemy. If you want to blame anybody, blame him. <laughs> not God. Don't blame God. All right, I guess that's about it. Um, I was so excited to, to talk about this, I, I have to tell you today, because when something happens in your life and, and, and you notice the change, <coughs> excuse me, throat's getting a little dry, um, it's, it's, it's really, it, it changes everything. It really does. When, when you take a Bible truth and you follow it and you get results, I mean, what it does is it, it has a transformative effect on you. Right. I don't have to teach you how to talk from the heart. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. So, uh, you know, if, if your prayer today or tonight is only around one thing, I mean, that's fine. It's not like if you don't pray for so-and-so every single day that uh, the devil's so big and so powerful that he's just going to bowl over them. You don't want to have that kind of thinking. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. But you do want to recognize that the real you today has to come out and has to make that connection with God. I'm not talking about feeling. I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about sincerity. If the sincerity brings feeling and emotion, fine. If it brings zero emotion, that's fine too. All right. That's all I have for you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you again in a, in a few weeks. And uh, I will see you then. God bless.